Tired from an overdose of Fortnite apps, dude, guy, and with me as always. Uh, got a peekaboo from my uncle who works at Nintendo. Bernie Family Wow. Uh, still has an original ancient Mew um, Pokemon card. You don't ever think about peekaboo just for a moment. No. You were, you were maybe a bit old for those that set of rumors. Probably. I wasn't too old for that set of rumors, so I doubt Wheels was. Yep. <laughs> Just trying to save myself here. Considering the, the anime came to America in my freshman year of college, and I was in constant email contact with my little brother in middle school about the game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wheels cover and well. I was giving him dirt on the Japanese version of Gold and Silver, which I that's not ex exactly explain how I had that, but yeah. But we got we got the actual games for Christmas that second year. So it's really interesting if you go back and look at like the Japanese previews for Gold and Silver from like because they got delayed an entire year, and like so those earliest previews are comparatively to just about any other Game Boy game wildly early in development. And also back when they were just called Pocket Monsters 2. Mm-hmm. It's a sequel. It's the, it's, we're done with Pocket Monsters after Pocket Monsters 2. <laughs> we were not, in fact, done with Pocket Monsters after Pocket Monsters 2. Uh, but what have we been playing? I see that uh, a certain uh, review went up. Yep, and I'm waiting for a second rep opinion on the other review. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, I mean, technically I'm between games because I'm also writing up an adventure corner for the game I just finished a couple days ago, and I haven't really started anything new. <laughs> what's, uh, what's the adventure corner that you're looking at? It's um, a game called Evil Tonight. Huh, I haven't heard of that one. It's, a, um, it's an indie game by a couple of brothers from Italy, uh, Florence. And uh, got a pretty decent localization, too. Um, That's good. But it's... Imagine if Sweet Home had been remade by Quintet. Huh. That's an extremely strange set of things that I yeah. think is going to make sense to maybe 10% of the audience. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, some... I mean, some of the fans have compared it to the original Resident Evil done in late Super Famicom sprite graphics. Yeah, yeah, I can see how you got Sweet Home mixed with Quintet from that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm using I was using Sweet Home because it's not actually zombie related. Mm. Um, yeah, it's like it is, yokai shit. <laughs> uh, well, ghost stuff, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's got it's got some interesting lighting. Um, elements. It's got it's got a couple jump scares. It's got and um, you have to learn or you have to conserve ammo. So it pays to learn which 
enemies, you can slice to ribbons with your knife pretty easily, and which ones require seven bullets directly to the face. Um, so. Sounds a compelling mixture. Yep. And the machine gun does remarkably little damage for its rate of fire. I mean, it still hurts, but you'd think it would hurt more. You always want more out of it than it's going to get, you know? Yeah. Especially when I just unloaded the entire thing on the final boss. <laughs> Which, I, I mean, as a side benefit, it does keep her staggered while it's connecting. Yeah, that's that's a useful tool in that kind of game. So, I mean, it, it did take off almost half that boss's life bar before it ran out of bullets. It just ran out of bullets mm -hmm. too fast. Oh, that'll be an interesting one to read up on. I am, my curiosity is piqued. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a really solid little game. It's got some good puzzles. Um, at least I'm, I need to double check on this, but I know at least one of the puzzles um, they all have specific ways to solve them, but the solutions are different each time for at least one. Hmm. Interesting. And I could see that I can see at least one or more of the other puzzles having similar um, semi-randomized elements to them. Hmm. That sounds neat. But yeah. uh hear about it because I knew nothing about it. <laughs> it's also fairly short. I finished it in like four and a half hours and got an H rating for speed. So yeah. it's definitely built with uh potential for speed running. Yeah, if it's if it's uh trying to be sort of a take on Resident Evil, that makes sense. Yeah. That's also why I was doing it as an adventure corner, not as an actual review, because it it lacks um it lacks stats and any form of uh, stat advancement or mm. damage advancement. Health advancement, too. It's yeah, what you see is what you get for the, yeah. for the entire game. Honestly, there's probably more advancement in a modern Resident Evil game. <laughs> yeah. I mean, definitely more advancement in the last Tomb Raider game I played, <laughs> which was not the most recent one. Yeah, I would imagine probably one of the, like, probably like the 2013 reboot or something. Why isn't that 2013 reboot on Switch? Put that on Switch. Yes, please. Uh, so, yeah. So now you're in between games, it sounds like. I'm just trying to get some stuff jotted down and then typed up before I completely distract myself again. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Well, that and as I get... As soon okay. as I get this Mega Ten Five review out, I'm probably gonna just take Mega Ten Five cartridge back to the store and sell it. Rip. Yeah. You'll never get the. You'll have to wait for the Maniacs edition to see whether they fix it. Uh, you know they won't. I mean, some <laughs> of the things that would need fixing are not the things that you would fix in a basic expanded edition. Mm, I was mostly making a joke. I'm not even convinced there there will be a Maniacs edition, or if they if there is, it would be a DLC. So. Then again, Persona 5 Royal wasn't a DLC, so who knows? <laughs> Atlas is a weird beast. Uh, yep. I mean, that that is a perfect way to describe most of its opus. Weird beast. Definitely, definitely. Though I was reading Severin's uh, review of... Um, what was it? Ghostlight Tokyo? Ghostwire. Uh, Ghostwire. Yeah. And I'm, I'm just reading this description, and I'm like... This sounds a lot like what you would get if you mashed Assassin's Creed and, like, Devil Summoner. Yeah. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Yeah. 
which kind of makes me want to play it, except it's not on anything that I have. <laughs> it's, it's only PS5 and maybe PC. Yeah. So, yeah. I might pick it up yeah, because it, I'm curious Windows, yeah. and I like... Yeah, and I like Tango Gameworks, but... We'll see. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean, everything I've, I've read about that game just screams like, okay, this could have been Mega 10 and this has parkour elements and it sounds a lot and you got the sneak attacks and things so. mm -hmm. and of course I've never actually played Assassin's Creed so I don't know how well this comparison actually holds up but mm. third person perspective that's how it sounds mm. Wheels, what have you been playing? Uh, a number of things I picked up Rune Factory 5 this week nice. which is pretty nice so far have you gotten a wife yet? not yet <laughs> very, yeah, very, it came out funny. yesterday as of when we're recording. Yes. Uh, it seems nice so far. Uh, oh, Still been playing lots of Destiny 2. This past week was uh, Iron Banner, which is my favorite once a month PvP event. So I grinded through that on two characters. And. Um, what else? More um, triangle strategy. Yeah. Which is really fucking good. I've heard nothing but good things. Yeah. Uh, this past battle I just went through, it took me like two hours. Although I was also playing magic at the same time. But <laughs> involved care carefully using environmental traps to take out a very large army. And was nice. pretty awesome. And it honestly, that kind of just describes the game in general. It's pretty awesome. It's it's looking like it's going to be one of my top games of the year contenders for sure. It's it's really good. Dang. So good that I haven't played that much Elden Ring to be honest. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's high praise. Yeah. Although it's also the triangle strategy switch game. That's yeah, to play, yeah. but. I've been playing that and some dot hack, and yeah, that's about it. Also, Destiny, but. Yes. Lots of Destiny. We'll, we'll spare the audience yeah. that. Well, I could talk a little bit about how I went and deleted one of my characters just so I can start a new one. Um, yeah, yeah, you go ahead and do that. I'll zone out for a minute. <laughs> Uh, and it was pretty, but I already heard the story. That's <laughs> true. It was pretty cool to see, like they've redone some of the early missions from Destiny One, complete with music from Destiny One, which has not been in two a lot. So it was nice to hear a lot of those old tracks again. And yeah, that's pretty much it. It's cool. They have a nice opening experience if you're just getting into the game, and this expansion is probably the best expansion in series history so if you're interested at all in Destiny it's the best time to get into it Destiny 2 it's never been as good as it is now sure but uh yeah I've been playing Dot Hack awesome I love Dot Hack uh been appreciating uh, 
so so there's there's like the two-edged sword that always exists with dot hack is that you get what you give with uh when it comes to uh the meta narrative of that franchise so like the more that you read of all the different connective narratives like the if you been exposed to various anime, manga, etc., you get a better idea of, like, the underpinning motivations of a lot of the people in play in a way that, like, it does imbue them with a lot... Uh, imbue the characters with generally a much stronger sense of history and, like, a deeper inner life than a lot of characters you will see in uh, games that have to confine their stories entirely to games uh, where it's like the, it has to be you know all, all parts of the story have to be fundamentally in some way relevant to the story being told and like GU's story is very it, it's a very well constructed story but like it is also a case of like I could never review this because I would not be able to like dis like even if I were inclined to write reviews, like I would not be able to disentangle the knowledge that I have from having like read, watched, played like a dozen other things that do enrich that experience. And it's been interesting to replay GU to have that additional perspective on the protagonist's main arc that is informed both by knowing where it's going, but also by knowing where it's been in other pieces of media. So that's been a lot of, a lot of fun to sort of keep track of. In, in many ways, the thing that I was thinking of, because like you, you play a game that you really liked uh, years and years on, and there's always a question of like, do I like this as much as I remember? If anything, I, I kind of like it more than I did <laughs> before. Damn. Like, the, there were aspects that I remembered as being like, oh, this... Because there are bits of, especially Volume 1, where there can be uh, bits of writing that can feel mildly inconsistent because it's like doing setup for future arcs, but it's also trying to like push along this main arc that are on some level in conflict, but the the better understanding of uh, specifically where protagonist Haseo is uh, in as a mental from a mental perspective uh, gives a better understanding of why he can be inconsistent in the way people are sometimes. <laughs> Bearing like the 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 most notable thing that uh, anyone should maybe take away from when trying to understand this character and this, this is information you can pull up from the game but it does require some effort because he doesn't like talking about himself that much uh, he, he's kind of a closed off person for a lot of it but in certain conversations it becomes 100% clear that protagonist Haseo is 17 years old and he is 17 years old in a more realistic fashion than I think, a lot. like, he's still like a, you know, like definitely an anime protagonist kind of character, but at the same time, like 
the kind of emotional immaturity that he has is feels more genuine than you would get from a lot of RPGs that have teenage protagonists, but which like are treating their school. <laughs> yeah, not, not even just perpetual high school, but like uh, in, in the way that like their games aimed at teenagers who want characters they can identify with, but which are written in such a way that it's like, oh, they're like a weird adult, like a caricature of an adult that's technically a teenager and like this very strange uh, mental space that they're meant to occupy in a lot of these kinds of games. Whereas you, with Haseo, he is uh, he is a he is like in his late teens for all the good and bad that that does. Which, you know, it's, it, it is an interesting bit of recalibration that I had to do to remember that. But it's a uh, it does clarify certain aspects of why he is the, the kind of the kind of shitty guy he is, especially in the first volume. But yeah, been really enjoying it. Uh, catching uh, certain bits of uh, setup and banter that I hadn't noticed last time I played it. Uh, one thing that. Uh, I really appreciate about GU as an expansion of the first four games uh, that I was noticing as I was playing today is uh, the first four games the the setup that starts that that starts the whole uh, series is protagonist of the first four games kite logs in for the first time to play with his friend his friend is like a like a uh, very high-level player, famous for like being one of the people in the raid. The people in the first raid to take down an obnoxious super boss, that sort of thing. Like his friends, very uh, experienced with this game. And then, of course, his friend gets put into a coma by the game, and then like that's his motivation to keep playing the game. And so, uh, because of both that and the fact that Kite is kind of a blank slate of a character for the most part, like he. He does say things, but he is not a chatty person. Uh, you run into the weird uh, context that it's not clear at all whether Kite would ever play this game again if he did not have a uh, if he did not have like the inciting motivation of trying to work out why the game put his friend in a coma. Hmm. Like there's there's very little understanding of like what inner life drives him. Whereas like with this with, with GU they and so like part of that also means that like Kite never plays the game in a way that indicates interest or uh, understanding of various MMO concepts. There is no point in the original dot hack where you are ever. Uh, you ever join a guild, you know, you're never invited to one. I'm not even convinced that the first four games ever actually referenced the concept of things like guilds and raiding parties and shit. Uh, whereas with GU, they, they sort of built a, they built a character who would be playing this game even if he didn't have a reason to, so to speak. Like, Haseo's reason for playing the world is very specific and how it comes into conflict with why other people play the game 
is a consistent part of the story and how it, like, is examining why people play MMOs. Uh, so, like, that gives him a lot more excuse to touch on aspects of uh, MMO culture that don't exist in the first four games. So you have things like you have to... You, you are technically in charge of a guild that uh, co comes into contact with, like, the petty uh, intra-political squabbles that come into contact when a bunch of people... When you run into other guilds, because those other guilds are all full of, uh, like, self-important weirdos that are constantly in some sort of petty infight with each other. <laughs> uh, which is, is really more of a thing that comes up in, like, volumes two and three, but... It's one of those things. Uh, one of the other one, one of the other things I was really appreciating uh, as I was playing again was so the uh, how to describe this. I guess the implied sort of default love interest. The game never. The game gives you like options about uh, there. There is when you finish the third volume, the game gives you a one-time use uh, email card that lets you pick a paired ending with any given character but there's there are like two or three characters that are implied to be reasonable like logical love interests for Haseo that you can like get a paired ending with game declares to essentially make sense uh, mm -hmm. the most notable of those being a character that Haseo has very complicated feelings about because her character model looks essentially exactly like the character model of the person in a coma that is motivating him at this exact moment so, especially in their early interactions, he's uh, he ping pongs between like, uh, you know, being, you, you know, like, in like appreciating that resemblance, but also like every time she opens her mouth and acts different, it makes him angry. So that's you know, it's it's a very silly thing that they do. So, but the thing is that these two characters are uh, so like Haseo is obviously a dick. Like a huge, huge dick, uh, and has a lot to uh, learn and gain from the experiences that happen in this uh, set of games. This this other character, Atali, is supposed to be, uh, you know, the the sort of person like she is a nice person that is willing to put up with him being a huge dick, and that happens a lot with like. RPG love interests of this type. But the thing that's interesting and that I really appreciate the games delve into further and further as things go on is what kind of person is she that she's willing to put up with this shit? <laughs> and the answer ends up being is that she is a person with extremely poor self-esteem. <laughs> and like part and her journey, like she has like a good arc to go through that is her learning to ha you know to treat herself with respect and to you know by, by the time that she has has gained something like Haseo has stopped being a dick so that their relationship is is between them regardless of whether it's a friendship or romantic one is no longer like an obviously unhealthy dynamic but it's it's interesting because you see this because the the opening when you're seeing it from Haseo's perspective you're seeing a character be a huge asshole uh, and for for largely no reason like for reasons that make sense because he is a weird damaged teenager but you know he's being a huge dick 
uh, and you see the uh, the interactions that you vaguely expect of the JRPG love interest who deals with it anyway because she's sure there's something nice underneath all that. Uh, but, you know, the game actually does peel back those layers and it's like, no, she's just... She shouldn't be putting up with that, and the fact that she is is a sign that there is something very wrong here. Uh, but the other thing, of course, is that she is the character archetype of someone who just enjoys one, like, MMO virtual tourism, basically. Mm-hmm. Like, she just likes going to areas that have, like, you know, pretty, like, uh, background art and textures and all that shit. And that, that leads to a huge conflict early on. Where Haseo is, of course, like screaming at her that that's stupid because this is all just textures over polygons. But the thing that's very uh, in the the thing that immediately makes it clear that they do actually intend to do more with her uh, from that is the whole reason that Haseo is uh, is humoring her early on is because he is trying to get a group together to run the in-game arena and he needs a healer. She's a healer. He doesn't know any other healers. <laughs> uh, so he's, he's humoring her for that, for that purpose. And she's talking about how she doesn't like the arena because it encourages players to be mean to each other, that sort of thing. And then eventually after like a few more story beats, she does relent to being in there, uh, to being in the arena and her two given reasons, uh, her, her main given <laughs> reason uh, explains both why she didn't want to be in the arena and why she would want to now. The reason she does not want to be in the arena, which also ties in with her poor self-esteem, is that she states quite blatantly, I have never won anything in my life. Oof. And so the reason she wants to be in the arena is uh, is both because, like, obviously she wants to help her friends, but also I would like to win something at least once in my life. I really need to play this game. This is actually sounding much it's better than so most good. of the RPG examples I can think of. It's it's legitimately like when when I say you get what you get what you give with this. It's like the more that you're willing to like dig into the game, like. Because it's one of those things where, like, when when you deal with the games, with a lot of game narratives, you run into these things where it's like, uh, you reach a point where, like, you're looking for an explanation for why something is, and the, there's just nothing in the text about it. And, like, you can make your interpretations or you don't. Uh, in, in, in GU, especially, like, with these... If you keep digging, you will find an explanation that does make sense. Like, you're always going to have to, like, accept the concept of, like, oh, there's a weird magical MMO that fucking nearly kills people. But at the same time, like, if you accept that, like, the motivations behind the people, like, if you accept that that exists, the motivations that cause people to do things make sense. And, so at least it's internally consistent. Yeah. It's just like, if you accept the premise, you will find internal consistency much in, at a much deeper level than you would expect from most RPGs. And that's why I think that it resonates so strongly with me, like, and that I enjoy it more each time. But yeah, like, 
you you run into those like things. Where it's like, uh, especially one of my favorite things that I've just noticed is the more that a character like you can kind of get an idea. Uh, like a broad idea of how old the character is just by how dramatic they act. So like the, the characters that are implied to in their real life be adults with jobs tend to be fairly laid back. The characters who are teenagers tend to be very dramatic. <laughs> and some of those like you won't figure you won't have evidence of that fact until very late there's like a character who's like a recurring uh antagonist throughout the first uh, throughout the three games that's like uh that one, one of the things the the first four games and g you both do is that once once the main plot's over they just give you the member addresses aka the they make every character that's still running around playing the game a party member. So like you get memory addresses member addresses of characters that have technically been at odds with you, but like it's a it's a fucking MMO, who cares? <laughs> like you can play together and it's fun. But you uh there like one of those characters is someone that like you would have met in one of the opening cutscenes of the first game and who has just been like a vague like just kind of like a vague asshole wandering around for the past three games and then finally like you get their member address because the game's just going to give you all of them and then like at that point you can realize oh they're weird and over dramatic because they're a 13 <laughs> <laughs> but I like that's just that 13 year olds are very weird and over dramatic yep and it's just like oh yeah no suddenly Suddenly, it all slides into place, and then then you know, you'll get some characters that it's like you should know better, but with the context of what I know about you from a prior game, I understand why you don't. <laughs> and I won't say which character that is because it's a spoiler for both the original games and GU in separate ways. But uh, there is one very specific character where it's like you have a lot of you have a lot of uh, skin in this game, but at the same time, it's only you only have skin in this game because you are very, uh, because you at perhaps too young of an age were involved in something that was like uh, that gave you essentially something of a complexity and thrill seeker personality. And I'll leave it at that. But yeah, no, I I, I fucking love it. I like it perhaps even more than I did before. And uh, the Switch port is perfect, 100%. And there's no reason it shouldn't be, but it is always worth noting. Like, yeah, it is a uh, lovely port. Uh, the game, as I've mentioned many times, it's already gorgeous on the PS2. It looks perfectly at home on the Switch. I think, uh, as I was mentioning uh, before we started recording, uh, that there have also been some subtle improvements uh, to how party AI works. There's some, there's an ongoing mechanic, uh, essentially where, uh, the game will have you, uh, chasing after things to kick them in order to get bonuses. So you'll find like these things that power, uh, the power, the, you need power to open certain doors 
So you have to kick these little things called chim chims to get spears from them that cause them uh, that you can use to power doors. Uh, I'm convinced that the AI party members have gotten better at kicking those, along with lucky animals, which gives you things like uh, bonus weapons, items, money, uh, exp, that sort of thing. Uh, I'm convinced both that party members have gotten better at tracking and kicking both of those, which makes uh, the actual act of getting uh, door power and getting bonuses much simpler and less irritating. <laughs> uh, but yeah, been been really just having a wonderful time with it. I still uh, still love it. Been I'm gonna end up doing all the side quests again. <laughs> nice. But yeah. So. Big fan. Thumbs up. But, yeah. Um, but that's that's been taking up my uh, game time, unsurprisingly. Uh, Since you're basically running four games in a row. One. Yeah, yeah. Because there's. Uh, I, I'm very curious. I don't know how long the reconnected scenario is, but. Uh, it gives Haseo another adept rogue form, which uh, that was that was kind of the traditional marker of progress through each part of uh, GU is that each part gives you another uh, another set of abilities and uh, a new look, which you know I, I dig that. That was, that was a good way to make the player feel like they're uh, making progress. But yeah, big big fan. Don't don't miss out on it. Uh, it's now available on PS4, PC, and Switch. All all three versions are great. They even include the terminal disc that was originally only given away as a pre-order bonus for Volume One. I've never seen it in the wild, but it offers a condensed uh, in-universe summary of the first four games and the uh, canonical like uh, explanation of where some of the things that are happening in GU like why they're happening what what the internal project at CyberConnect Corporation uh, was that caused that that caused this whole MMO to go pear-shaped again. But yeah, so wonderful version, love it. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's what I've been playing. Do we have any news? Um, I heard that the founders of Sierra Online are actually making a new game or a remake. Of oh it. yeah, it's a remake of Colossal Cave Adventure. Yeah, I think it was like announced last year, but there's news on it recently. Yeah, they've actually shown it now and given a release date of this summer. Hmm. I have yeah. no idea which game this was because I was not paying attention to adventure games that early in the history of the genre. Uh, I'll put it this way. Colossal Cave Adventures, I believe, came out 15 years before I was born. Uh, that is a like mid-70s video game. Yeah, before I was born, too. Wow. Yeah. Let me double-check that to be sure. It's like, that is what they are remaking, Colossal Cave Adventure. By, by that name, you can probably guess that this is a very early game. Uh, okay, yeah, originally released in 1976. 
Yikes. Uh, like this that is something like of an age with Zork. Right. Yeah, like this is this was played on a PDP-10, which is a computer uh, of such vintage that you have never seen one, and the only people who had one were universities. <laughs> Mm -hmm. uh, like the concept of the microcomputer did not exist. We were still at mini computers, uh, probably involving dumb terminals still at that point. But yeah, like this is this is an old ass game to get a remake. Uh, I believe uh, this is also when like like I'm not even sure how you would clear up who owns Colossal Cave Adventure. Because this was also when someone would like put something on one of these mainframes, and then someone else might just add on to it, and like no one was making money off it. It was just like a weird pseudo collaborative project that no one had any strong opinions about. Also, a bit like Rogue. Yeah, very much in style of that sort of thing, where it's like someone just, someone just made updates to it. I, I guess. <laughs> I know. I mean, did you ever play, uh, or did you ever hear Minds of Mariah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was. Um, I was surprised to find out that the guy who made that was actually from my hometown. Huh. Because <laughs> because uh, he really wanted to play that game in 1983, but the University of Oklahoma did not have any computers compatible with Rogue. So he started from first principles, and he made his own version. Yep. Uh, the I, I want to bring up. Uh, the the nonsensical adventure game puzzle can almost directly trace its lineage to Colossal Cave Adventure uh, by virtue of the fact that so one of the most infamous bits is uh, if you just type to kill a monster, the game will just say, with what? Your bare hands? <laughs> and that's not something you can respond to it's like it's just the game being pithy at you. It's telling you to use something on, to kill it. Until you get to the dragon at the end. Mm -hmm. If you type kill dragon, it'll ask with what? Your bare hands. And if you respond yes, it says congratulations, you've slain the dragon with your bare hand. <laughs> <laughs> That's the only way to kill it. Wow. That's it's a. It's it's one of those things that you would not have put into a game you intended to sell for money at the start. <laughs> it's something that you would put because it was funny and it didn't matter because whatever, the person playing it is just fucking around with it. But yeah, so with what? Your bare hands. And that, that uh, begin, that is like the prototype of the arbitrary adventure game puzzle that requires either like finding a bizarre verb or <laughs> doing a complete violation of any common sense but yeah which is made even worse by the fact that that's not a respondable command in any other context it's only when you try to kill the dragon it's your very hand. uh yeah, fascinating uh, to see that come back. Uh, guess we'll see. Uh, we'll see whether Roberta Williams still got it. But 
Well, I mean, wasn't the story here that they were just really, really bored during... Yep, they were the bored during the pandemic. pandemic. Why not? <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's cute and, you know, I mean, it's interesting to see... Uh, it'll be interesting to see what comes of it. Um, let's see. Her... Oh, yeah. There was one other mildly interesting piece of industry news, uh, which oh, is CD Projekt announced the uh, open secret that is The Witcher 4, but mostly by virtue of saying that it would not be on an internal engine that's going to be on Unreal Engine 5, which is interesting. They haven't used an outside engine since The Witcher 1, which ran on the uh, Neverwinter Nights Aurora engine. So that's an odd choice, to say the least. Uh, but yeah. Uh, as it turns out, rolling your own engine is a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> I was going to say, that's why Unreal so popular. Yep. But yeah, so that's it's interesting to see. Apparently, they're like also contributing a bunch of their own tech branches into Unreal in this process. So, I guess the way they see it, it's like, well, we get a bunch of support on engine development, while well, we can still make our own uh, adjustments. So, win-win. But interesting to see a weird way to announce a game by announcing what engine it'll be on. <laughs> but. Well, you know, yeah, it's going to be something that everyone's going to whinge about one way or another. Yeah, but I mean, that game's not coming out until like 2027 at least, at the earliest I'd imagine. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I think that's it for news. I don't think there's been anything of... Note recently, especially because everyone's just finishing out fiscal year and doesn't want to talk up what they'll be doing next fiscal year yet. <laughs> Let's see. Did we get anything in the Discord? Just a moment. Um, okay, nothing new in the Discord, it doesn't look like. So, it's time to dig deep into the fireball. Sweet. Okay. Also, I found out today that someone is uh, releasing... This is not game-related, it's just something that's been running through my head. Someone announced the release of uh, old anime Panda Go Panda in uh, America. The Ghibli movie? Yeah. I'm not sure if that's officially Ghibli or if it's pre-Ghibli, but it's the same people. Oh, it, it is Ghibli. Nausicaa okay. was the only one that was really pre-Ghibli. Gotcha. But yeah, that's one of those like things I've never seen, but the name Panda Go Panda just lives in my brain sometimes. Are you sure it's not Panda Co Panda? 
Uh, I've only ever seen it as Panda Go Panda, but maybe I'm just... That must have been the English title then. Um, the Japanese title is Panda Copanda, because that means it's Copanda is Baby Panda. Yeah, Panda and Baby Panda. But yeah, and it seems to have been localized in English. Okay. So, so the song goes Panda Copanda Copanda, which is the name of the three main characters in a row. Yeah. Um, I've only seen part of this movie on a TV in a waiting room somewhere, but it was really funny. Yeah, it seems like the sort of thing that you would just see ambiently, just because it's like, oh, it's yeah. cute, and most people, and it's the sort of thing that, like, no one's going to complain about being on. <laughs> yeah, and um, Big Daddy Panda was definitely the precursor to uh, Totoro. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can tell by the design. I'm also Camera convinced that... Yeah, that was that did predate Ghibli. I'm sorry, I was mistaken on that one. Yeah, no, understandable. But uh, but Miyazaki it, I, was involved. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, it's Miyazaki and Takahata. But, uh, the other thing I was thinking about when I was looking at it is that like the the large father panda does also make me think that there was probably some of that DNA in why the dad and Rama one half turns into a panda as well. Well, I mean, the uh, Wikipedia page kind of mentions a panda craze in mid-70s Japan. Mm-hmm. It was uh, when the first panda arrived at the Ueno Zoo. Yeah, so, I could see how that would happen. So, um, quite likely the dad in Ranma Half is also a result of lingering panda craze in the mania. Yeah. But that's just far enough away because it's the early 90s that I could see that being like someone looking back at Panda Craze and having a laugh. I mean, so much of that manga was like a big in-joke to the 80s. Mm -hmm. Okay, here's one. Uh, Scarlet Nexus reminds me of how stiff JRPG dialogue could be if you have to write around non-animated cutscenes all the visual novel. But does it have to be that way? Absolutely not. Uh, part of the reason you do those kinds of like visual novel style scenes is that it gives you more freedom in how to write dialogue. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I've noticed replaying .actu is engine limitations about when and where dialogue can be and how they uh, end up doing a lot of uh, out-of-engine cutscenes specifically to get around those engine limitations. Uh, uh, both because it gives them more freedom of animation, but also because it gives them, like, dialogue can be longer and, uh, like, doesn't have to be cued specifically to animation. Like, that's part of why you do uh, those... Uh, kinds of pseudo-visual novel cutscenes is that you're saving money, but you're also uh, able to pace out dialogue in a way that ideally would be less stilted, but it also means that you're running into what are the exact limitations of your writers. That's usually the bigger issue. Mm -hmm. I mean, especially, I mean, really depends on the age of or the generation of the gaming belt. Just the industry tends to attract a lot of failed light novel writers. Yep. I'm not, I mean, specifically Tales from literally the very first game. Tale Fantasia. Yep. Um, yeah. 
it's, it's one of those things. And, like, you know, plenty of those people, you know, develop into being reasonably talented writers, but also you end up with a lot of people that it's like, di- di- maybe didn't learn what they needed to learn in order to, like, tell a story in a way that suits the medium or any medium. So, yeah, like, they, these don't have to be stiff, and we've seen plenty of games that show how good they can be, and. As I've been raving about what happens when you hire someone who's shown themselves to be good at writing in other mediums and produce, uh, good things. But, you know, you have to really put your emphasis there, and a lot of times they don't. Oh yeah, that was... I'm just gonna keep remembering things that I enjoyed about that hack. I was not... I was surprised to catch, like, I brought a character to a quest that I'd never taken there before, and like, I was just baffled when he brought up Dig Dug in the room. Oh, wait, it's a Namco game. <laughs> He's allowed to do that without anyone getting pissed off. But yeah, it's one of those things, like, I think what more often happens is that non-animated visual novel-style cutscenes usually point to games with low lower budgets or that have not put their budgets into like, cutscenes, dialogue, and, or, like, writing. So, like, you know, plenty of these might be people who are, you know, cheaper to hire for writing, or they were hired for shorter periods of time, so there was less time to draft and rewrite, so you end up with things that end up being, well, this is the draft we had, and this is the text we inserted. Yep. And very rarely a situation like Final Fantasy Twelve, where the head writer just kind of uh, got hospitalized. <sighs> Man, I don't think I've ever seen someone flame out so tragically or publicly as Yasunoma. Yeah. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. Poor man's been. Yeah. It's definitely a case of what uh, you get, what you pay for with writing. Sometimes. Yep. Not sometimes, all the time. <laughs> Both in terms of the the writer that you get and the amount of time you give them. Yeah. But this is also why a lot of indie games end up having some really good stories. Is because the writers are the guys making the game and they really care about this. They made the game because that was a story they wanted to tell. Yeah. And like, um, in the game I was talking about earlier, it's like I said, it's I beat it in four and a half hours. It's obviously beatable and much shorter than that, but it's got a really good story. Mm-hmm. I mean, that also means that, like, you, you get the indie game uh, ethos, that also means that the with one person making essentially all the decisions, there's no, there's less incentive to pad something out for a marketing reason, which can also there's be There's that, helpful. too. I mean, sometimes it gets, sometimes the padding actually works. I mean, look at Midgard. Mm. Oh, 100%, but it is one of the, yeah. but what I mean is just that, like, you have less likelihood of that happening. Yeah. But I mean, I, I would be a strong believer uh, in the idea that something doesn't have to, like you could point at something and say, you could remove that from the story and it would still make sense. And it's like, yes, but it wouldn't be as good. <laughs> and we've also said before, but that's part of what helped with Chrono Trigger is that they actually some thought into the editing and organization of the plot. Yeah, so. like, never never forget, Singing Mountain's not in there, not because they couldn't finish it, it's not in there because it made the pace worse. <laughs> yep. 
It still has a really nice song, a uh, really nice tune on the soundtrack, though. Yeah, I'm glad they put the song on the soundtrack. It's a great song, but <laughs> I'm also glad that Cooler Heads prevailed about like, well, this this having this in here is worse, even though it's not bad content in a vacuum. Hmm. Let's see. Some of the interesting lessons I learned from plotting involving video games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't actually think that'd be much of help with novel organization, but it does help. <laughs> Especially if you can think of bad examples of plotting. Yeah, the fundamental nature of how a story is put together changes, but certain lessons are definitely applicable across disciplines. Yeah. And like even like Final Fantasy thirteen. Final Fantasy thirteen had a lot going for it in terms of pacing as long as it was a novel. Yep. It, like yeah, the second yeah. that FF13 stops for any reason, which it wouldn't have to as a novel, is where things start to fall apart. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also just the way it's organized with the characters splitting into different narratives and things that would work much better as a novel. Mm -hmm. And it would also yeah. not run into like the mechanical uh, issue of that you're you're spending like. 20 hours with a max two-person party that can't really explore the mechanical depth of the combat system that they're spending so much time teaching, you know? Exactly. But in, an, in a strictly written work, it would make perfect sense to think, well, these characters are th have only a thematic connection to each other, and that's why they need to pair off, and it doesn't matter how many are in one group. <laughs> a real quick one that me and Wheels can answer. Uh, well, I can. I don't know if Wheels got this far. Uh, did you cheat at the math test in Yakuza Like a Dragon by pausing? Uh, I don't think I did. I did not either. But I do appreciate uh, any time that you run into these kinds of tests or minigames and video games where it's like, oh, you have to like figure something out really quickly. Does the pause button still work? Yes. <laughs> Because uh, that, that saves me a lot of stress in certain kinds of games. Time to pause buffer. Pause buffer, is a, that's an important strat. Uh, which game has the menu system that impressed you the most? I recently revisited Ridge Racer 5 and reminded how slick its menu is. Yeah, it's a really nice... Uh, that was the last time that Namco pretended that it cared about Ridge Racer. That is a really nice looking... Uh, a, a very slick game, and like the obvious answer here is Persona Five. But Damn it, you stole my answer. <laughs> that's why I was going to put it off limits. Uh, it's probably uh, I always liked Secret of Mana's menu system, except when my joysticks were, were malfunctioning on the Vita. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'll hurt. <laughs> yeah, turn that game into a roulette, uh, roulette wheel. <laughs> Finally, it's the Saga game you always wanted. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, the, the ring menu was always kind of a, a clever solution of, like, we have a multiplayer RPG and how do people quickly access... We don't want them in the menu for very long, and we want everyone to immediately know who's accessing the menu and what they're doing with it. So... Uh... One thing uh, that I've 
appreciated. Like, not all the menus in GU are really nice, although I think they're, they're usually pretty good. But the, uh, the OS menu for when you're logged out of the MMO is actually pretty nice looking. The way that it uh, moves around is very smooth in a way that's very pleasing. It's better than any <laughs> Sony OS. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, they just keep getting worse. PS5 one is the PS4 one, but worse. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they store their storefront gets just gets exponentially worse every generation. I, oh my it's, god! It's so bad now. So bad. Oh hey, that's the, that's the news we didn't talk about. The the switch has folders now. Eh. I don't personally care, but after five years of people complaining about it, it's like there, yeah, they're it's... there. Stop complaining. <laughs> they're not really there. So they're there. It's fine. Technically, they're there. You you can't have them on your home screen. And I get why they don't want you to, but it is also frustrating. It's annoying. But also, I don't care. That's the only way I would want to use them. You press button and go to folders, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, and of course, none of them, none, I don't think any of them have folders. I don't think the PS4 ever got them. I don't think the Xbox ever got them. I don't see their being introduced to either the PS5 or series at this stage either. Probably not. The, the, these companies have a, well, for, for Nintendo, the reason they're doing it is because they want the Switch to load fast. And also because they don't. Uh, I think they're leery about people being able to fuck with their home screen that has been the same for five years. Yeah. But, I mean, for Sony and Microsoft, they have a vested interest in uh, not letting you... Uh, they have a vested interest in not letting you fully organize because the fucking, the fucking home menus are full of ads. Yeah. <laughs> So if they if they let you properly organize your home menu, you, you wouldn't be exposed to as many ads. Capitalism yeah. That's, yep. But yeah. And I'm just thinking about like Ridge Racer, like just because it was part of this question. Ridge Racer is one of like I, I've I've developed a mild like obsession with it over the past few years, just as a basis uh, on the basis of. This used to be a marquee franchise. Like, on the PS1, it was one of Namco's biggest franchises. And the second that the PS2 happened, it faded immediately into obscurity. And that feels weird to me. But it's also been 20 years since that happened, so I can't say, like, oh, why don't they revive Ridge Racer? Because the amount of people who care about Ridge Racer who are less than at least 30 are very, very limited. It's Ridge Racer. Ridge Racer. That was 16 years ago. What? What's a Ridge Racer? I'm a Ridge uh, Racer. I'm a Ridge Racer. I remember, when, like, the, there are like five Ridge Racer games on the PS1. Ridge Racer, Ridge Racer Revolution, Rage Racer, Ridge Racers, and Ridge Racer Type Four. That's a lot of Ridge to race. 
But yeah, any, anyone interested in that franchise should maybe go look up the uh, Digital Foundry retro video on that franchise, which is a very good sort of examination. There's a couple videos talking about it. It's good. Uh, speaking of Ridge Racer type forums in this case, what uh, which other game has the most impressive intro movie? There's mm. something we might have something to say about. Most impressive intro movie. Rune Factory yeah. 5 has a really good one. <laughs> it's like it basically just an anime opening. It's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it's know, I mean, very common eventually. I know, I mean, ever since the I mean, even the PlayStation era had some great ones. Legend of Mana, uh, Chrono Cross, mm-hmm. so, um, Wild Arms. Several Wild Arms games. Yeah. I fucking Wild love Arms the Wild Arms 2 openings. Wild Arms 2 and 3. Yeah. 3 had the evolving opening. Yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. Um, uh, Lunar Silver Star Story Complete. In your dreams, magical thoughts. Uh, Magic Knight Ray Earth. Uh, that's a great one. Uh, for for kind of the dying of the art form, because like eventually companies decided that these are these were expensive and not worth it, and so they became less common. But during the dying of the art form, oh, what's that? I know a couple from 3DS period. Hero Bank One and Two both had really good opening movies. Mm-hmm. Like these but, these. I mean... uh, yeah, like these still exist certainly, and there are still good ones. We just brought up Rune Factory Five, but I mean, like this used to be something that they would use essentially. Like these openings were often the trailers for the game, <laughs> but like the that we're kind of past that period, uh, long past it. But I was going to bring up uh, Onimusha Threes is really, really long and really impressive CG for the time. Uh. I want to say that one runs like nine minutes. It's some crazy length. Wow. Of just a, a ridiculous, uh, gigantic uh, bit, uh, like fairly well choreographed samurai action movie shit. So, if, if you've never yeah, seen that one, maybe. Um, one that actually sold me on the game was Devil, uh, Devil Summoner Rider 1. Oh, yeah. Because that was also the trailer shown in the stores, and it was awesome. Yeah. Like, the, the PS2 is kind of the end of the period where the trailer would be also the opening movie. I mean, the 3DS did it quite a bit longer, but yeah, for the consoles. Yeah, yeah definitely for the consoles. Yeah. Um, I to think of particularly good one like because like all, all of my favorites end up being like ps1 and ps2 rpgs so the last time i really got to see these like i feel like a lot of the ones that were on 3ds were also in games that didn't really come out in the u.s but... that's why i'm the one coming up with all the examples of them <laughs> yeah so but yeah like i there's there's a lot of those that i that i love i mean i freaking love the dot hack openings both the first four games and gu who'd have thought <laughs> It's me, the big nerd. Um, uh, Chrono Cross, probably the grand uh, example of disparity between intro quality and game quality. 
That's honestly probably true, even if you really like Chrono Cross, because that opening is an all time yeah. burn. Yeah. Uh, I remember being extremely hyped for Final Fantasy VIII based off of its CG opening. Mm -hmm. a lot of, there's a lot of good imagery there. The game does not live up to it at all. But... Be right back. Of course, uh, the uh, FF7 intro is iconic and looms large in my memory, but that one's a bit obvious. Uh, one of these questions has become uh, outdated in the past year. Oh, uh, which one? So, question 141, uh, like, this would have been a relevant question when he asked it, but uh, when was the last time an RPG with anthropomorphic animals came out? And no, we were not counting the Wonder Boy franchise, and it's like, Fuga came out this year, so that's, that suddenly made that irrelevant. Like, there it is, Fuga. What was the date on this question? Because... Well, we got these questions at the beginning of, like, 2021, so... I think Fuga might have been announced, but it was a pretty obscure game, so I can understand not having remembered it. But yeah. And now we're getting Fuga 2 and 3. I was going to say, Little Tail Bronx is suddenly doubling in size as a series. Yeah, that's wild to me. I really need to pick up Fuga 1, because I've heard nothing but good things about it. And I am a big CyberConnect fan. I'll see if I can rustle up a copy of the Mamoru-kun manga at some point. That would be fun. If they're still printing it. They're still printing it. That's yeah. good. And considering it's like a free handout in Fukuoka Prefecture. Yeah. And Fuga has a really... Like, the little tail bronze uh, just has a general, like, really appealing art style. And we were talking about writers in the industry. And it's like, there's an example of a series where the writer is really, really um, his own, I mean, his series' biggest fan. Yeah, passionate. I feel like CyberConnect uh, on their internal projects tends to put a lot of emphasis on the writing. Yep. Uh, yeah. Just, uh, these are gorgeous little games. Like, I'm just looking at uh, Fuka, like this. This art is just fantastic. Uh, yeah, man, I need to pick that up. I mean, Especially. imagine, imagine being so um, big on your um, or so enthusiastic about it that when you were told that no, they wouldn't be making a sequel to the game that you just did, that you just went and made a completely unrelated manga set in the same universe. <laughs> And, some, and some stories and need having to be, it be like like a commission from a prefectural government because they wanted something hip and cool for a disaster preparedness brochure. <laughs> so sure, why not? And then when you finally get a chance to make another game in the series, you include the characters from the manga as a side quest. That's <laughs> <laughs> your that. chance. 
Yeah, one of my favorite side quests in Solitarobo. Yeah. And that, that, it's weird how long that series has officially technically been running. It's like, Tale Concerto is like a PS1 game back when they were CyberConnect, not CyberConnect 2. <laughs> Okay, I'm back. Hey. What did I miss? We were discussing a question that had become outdated since it was asked, because uh, it was Fireminer asking when the last time a game starring, an RPG starring anthropomorphic animals had come out, and we were like, well, Fuga came out since you asked this. (laughs) Yeah. Which reminded me that I definitely need to pick up Fuga. Yeah. I need to see if I can find, like, a physical copy of the damn thing. Did they make one? Uh, I'm given to understand one existed. Let's see. Like, when I, when I Google around for the existence of such a thing, I get, like, news reports saying that it was confirmed for physical release, although that might have been only... In Japan, who knows? It doesn't exist, and we all know this to be true. I'm not choosing to believe that. It looks like in the US it was digital only, sadly. Limited run, get on this shit. Mm-hmm. Now they're too busy making publishing Chemco shit. Listen, I'm sure that's cheap, but also. Please, I, I just like a physical copy of the latest Little Tail Bronx. Mm. Oh, there's Let's Play and Video Upload Guidelines. Let's find out about these. Mm. By the way, hello. 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 Uh, what excitement have I missed tonight? Yeah, not much excitement other than me managing to go off on a tear about .hack to you approximately once every ten minutes. <laughs> oh, again? Again. Uh, yeah. Now I'm just looking at the uh, the Let's Play and Video Upload guidelines for CyberConnect 2 published titles. The answer seems to be, as long as you aren't doing... As long as you aren't uh, turning it into porn or... Uh, using it to slander us, everything's fine. <laughs> Sounds like a very Japanese approach there. I don't know, have you seen the Square Enix ones? Have you seen the Sega ones? A yeah. smaller company Japanese. Yeah, smaller company, yeah. Yeah, because like, Square Enix is like, once you beat the game, you cannot show the ending up, and, up until and including where it says the end, fin, to be continued, Etc. Okay. It's like some people will never buy this game, but I will admit, I watched Paws play East 9, and watching her play and beat it is why I was like, okay, I'm going to get East 9 and give it a try. Mm -hmm. And then I proceeded to buy all East games on Steam. Wow. Good advertising. It was great advertising. I mean, that's the whole thing, is watching someone stream a game, you could potentially be exposing them to 
a game they've never been exposed to before or a genre that they may not be interested in to give it a shot and or at least they will know that because i mean um rosar who's a good friend of mine he streams a lot of games that like a lot of first person shooter games and whatnot they're not my cup of tea i know they're not my cup of tea but i enjoy watching him play them like i think that the issue that you run into and like i do think that in general uh for most games uh something like a let's play does not harm them but it also does depend on the kind of game uh like certainly things like uh visual novels are running like a very uh are playing a very dangerous game when someone does a let's play of them because it's like oh this is just the game this is just all of it <laughs> yeah without the exp or the entire experience yeah like you you are not missing anything by just not being the one clicking through but you know it's 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 a very like i on some level i understand why companies get prote protected especially like in the first monthish after a game comes out where it's like someone is perhaps just like looking for spoilers uh, just so that they don't have to buy it, you know, after that, especially, I feel like after a month-ish, it feels silly not to lift the guidelines, just by virtue of the fact that, like, the only thing you're doing at that point is PR for something that you're still selling, but which has lost its, like, immediate, uh, immediacy factor. Yeah, aren't, aren't, like, the first two months really where the games make most of their sales? For first most games, weeks. yeah, for most games, it's the first month, like, probably the first week. There are games that two days in Japan. <laughs> yeah, there there are games that have long tails, especially things from companies like Nintendo. That part of the reason that they don't drop prices is that not dropping prices causes people to just keep buying them whenever. <laughs> there is no uh, there is no I value mean, in waiting further. <laughs> I mean, um, it was a JC Servant had. Really good explanation of this involving or involving a comparison to hotel room rates and mm. how if you if you keep giving sales too regularly, people learn to wait for the sales. Yeah, like you drop prices on things you can't get rid of otherwise. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a lot. The, the economics of game pricing. I don't know how I got here, but. <laughs> Yeah, like like just in general, like it, it it becomes part of the marketing plan. I can see why, for something like uh, I remember the 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 stringency stringency on the original release of Persona Five was, you're not allowed to stream after an arbitrary date in July, which ironically caused people to wonder what happens on that day in July. And the answer was nothing. Nothing happens on that day. It was chosen because it was pretty far in the game. You could show off a you could show off probably a good 20, 30 hours to get to July of Persona 5. Uh, but that, you know, nothing specific happened on that day, so there was no, like, specific spoiler, but it made sure you weren't showing anything after a certain spoilers. But yeah, like, after that, I think, you know, you might as well rescind that once the game's three, four months out, because anyone who was going to buy it just on the basis of hype has already done so. Now you need other people streaming it to help get people who were on the fence to be like, oh, I would like to experience this myself. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one's harkening right, back no. to a question. Okay. 
say, I, I know when we got the Atelier Sophie 2 code, there was a list of things that didn't be shown before embargo date. Mm -hmm. And I'm and looking at it is like looking at it in hindsight. I'm thinking, yeah, a lot of this stuff I would not have gotten to before embargo date anyway. <laughs> well, um, it's like cannot I... show specific combinations of characters, special attacks, things like that. <laughs> You're saying that it's kind of like with the uh, media tour for Final Fantasy 14, where we had what like a month between when the media tour was and the date and like and what's funny is one of the big one of the like you know fi bigger final fantasy gamer escape which is like one of the really honestly big final fantasy 14 sites i don't know if they cover other stuff but they have like a whole database just dedicated to final fantasy 14 leaked all their mm -hmm. stuff like the night before Oops. and the dude who did their coverage was like all apologizing about it yeah that makes it sound like someone might have just set things up in the wrong time zone. Yeah. Or they did it on purpose so they could be the first. Yeah, but that's a really dangerous game to pull, especially when you're dealing with a company like Square. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, it was close enough where the staff... Uh, where they decided not to pursue action. Yeah, I don't know if anything did happen behind the scenes or not, so... Mm -hmm. We are far the guy from... Who was covering it for, covering it for the... Uh, the person who was covering it for Gamer Escape was, was very apologetic about it. Yeah, I can understand that. Like, it's his neck on the line more than anything at that point, but... Uh, we, are, we are long from the period where... Uh, I'm remembering one of the funniest, like, 90s uh, game coverage stories, with, which was uh, Capcom being extraordinarily pissed at... Uh, Game Fan Magazine back in the late 90s because uh, they got a preview I can't remember if it was a officially reviewable or just a preview build of Resident Evil 2 that was then uh, almost immediately dumped and Capcom knew exactly who had done it because their those builds were very specialized and marked who, who they had been sent to ooh that's bad yeah, like, some Capcom representative found the bootleg copy at a store and pissed. <laughs> uh, by all accounts, they were never, like, allowed to just take, a, like, preview or review belts from Capcom ever again after that. Like, any time they wanted to preview or review a Capcom game, a Capcom representative had to be there at their side at all times because they did not want that shit happening again. Which, to be fair, understandable given that one of their most important games had been leaked to uh, bootleggers before it was even being released. But yeah, incredible. Um, we, we've got, we have long since left that world behind. Now we've reached a point where companies will, uh, they don't even embargo something, they just uh, send review copies that don't have it and then patch it in after the reviews are out. Yeah. No, thank I'm... you for following my channel, Doodle. Appreciate that. Hello. I'm what? I'm just like yes. Uh, I'm, I'm taking a break. Sleeping. There's no sleeping. Of course you weren't. Of course you weren't. Yeah. Uh, I 
I am I am briefly going to go off on a tear about something that is not an RPG because of the existence of it uh, destroys my brain. Uh, uh, the fact that Wheels fell asleep at the computer again? No, he does that all the time. Good point. Uh, Weekly. I was, I was going to say, I think I, I may have brought this up last week, but it's... And I definitely brought it up during shenanigans, but I'm flummoxed by it every single fucking time. Uh, <laughs> just the concept that uh, Sony patched microtransactions into Grand Theft Auto 7 after the reviews came out. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're not the first company to do that, though. Nope, but Good. that puts them in very like... bad company because the first company I can think of that did that was Activision. I thought EA did it first. No, Activision did it with Crash Bandicoot. Uh, Crash Team Racing Nitro Fuel. That's the first time I can think of a company that blatantly did that. Oh, and then you have what Square Enix did, which was release the game free and then be like, here's all the microtransactions. That's less insulting than when you do it with a game that costs seventy dollars. True. This was uh, the Chocobo. Grand yeah, Ch Chocobo Racing is somehow less insulting to me than Gran Turismo Seven at this point. It's that I've seen that it's really fine. People are making but... much to do about nothing. For which the Gran Turismo Seven or Chocobo Racing? No, Chocobo Racing. Gran Turismo is a dumpster fire. <laughs> Gran Turismo is a game where they accidentally knocked the game offline for 30 hours because they were trying to patch it to make it more punitive and grindy which is incredible well the reason yeah, they do the reason they do the that rewards. Yeah. Yeah, the, yeah the reason they do that is so that way it basically like so you oh, have yeah, to buy more microtransactions exactly yeah <laughs> it's like oh you have to grind 30 hours to get this one thing you can buy in 5 seconds it's even worse, though, because it does the Fortnite thing where, like, things are only available for a certain amount of time. It might literally not, there might literally not be enough time in the day to actually get the amount of money you need unless you pay. It's, uh, it's incredible. Also, they put the buy, buy $20 worth, the give us $20 button on every menu in the entire game. What is this clip? I have been clipped. I don't want to look at it. <laughs> I haven't seen it because I'm I'm keeping track of the RP Gamer stream. Uh... I'm on, I'm on the RP Gamer stream, so. Well, I can't see it now because uh, it's just going to be in Wheels' chat, I think. I'll double check to see if it's in here somewhere. Okay, the clip is here. I'll check the clip. Uh, <laughs> the clip is called Nappy Time. Uh... <laughs> did, did your sister clip this? Of course she did. <laughs> Who else would have? Thanks, Wheels' sister. Okay. Here's uh... our best audience, honestly. <laughs> no one else can uh, destroy Wheels as utterly. Let's see. Wake I don't even tell my sister I stream. <laughs> that and the fact that when I'm streaming, she would usually be at work, so... Fair enough. Because she uh, is a teacher. My sister was streaming before me, and she's also much be better at it, so... There's also that. 
the golden child. Uh, let's see. Okay, so we've got a couple Double uh, ones. Got a couple of ones to do. Uh, this one's this must have been from like E3 2020 or something. Back in E3, I asked you guys about why Microsoft hadn't found a marquee series to replace Halo, and you replied with the example of Mario. Then again, there are tons of Mario or Sonic games across all genres. Is Master Chief or Marcus Phoenix or whoever kind of character too serious for a crossover? Then again, there is a Spartan for general life. I think it's as much just that, like, there aren't genres that they want to put Master Chief in very often where he makes sense. Mm -hmm. Master Chief think, Road Racing. I think, I think the only one that they've really put him in, it was not technically Master Chief, was yeah. Tekken. No, it was DOA that you're thinking of. And yeah, that DOA, was a, DOA, yes. A, a new Spartan named, like, Nicole, I think. But, yeah. Like, it, it's one of those things where, like, uh, I don't think that it's too serious, per se, so much as, like, I think they're fairly certain that the audience wouldn't follow it. Like, yeah. uh, and, you know, that's, that, that's the two-edged sword of comparing anything to Mario, is that, like, Mario's audience is essentially all children and Mario a large number everybody. of adults. Yeah, like it, it would be it would be very difficult to find someone for whom Mario was not meant to appeal. And uh all ages like you, character. Yeah, it's it's a very all ages character. You get into Halo, it, it's a less I would describe it as a less malleable IP by virtue of the fact that it's for people that are at least like to think of themselves as adults, whether they are or not. Uh, and so those people have a very, a much more defined idea of what they expect a game with Master Chief in it to be about. Whereas like uh, children tend to have a pretty like a, a pretty heavy willingness to follow a character into things that they don't know much about. So you get, uh, it, it's very easy to sell a child on a Mario sports game or a uh, Mario puzzle game or whatever the hell other thing you wanted to do. You can make Yoshi's, Yoshi's Safari and the child will follow it even though that they, the Mario games they like are platformers and that's like end game the worst like gun you've ever used. Uh, whereas like with uh, you know, Halo or any of, like, those things, you run into the issue that the audience has a very defined idea of what those IPs are, and you have to find a way to bridge that gap in ways that they're generally not interested in doing. They would rather make a dedicated racing franchise than put Master Chief in, have Master Chief race around in Warthogs all the time. I am now imagining Diddy Kong racing, except it's Master Chief driving around in a warthog, a banshee, or a ghost. Mm. And it's incredible. Please make this Microsoft. Um, but yeah, like, uh, when, when Microsoft wants to make something uh, else with uh, the... Uh, wants to make like a racing game or a sports game, they just make a racing game or a sports game. They don't put their other characters in there. Not necessarily out of like uh, 
concerns over the sacrosanct seriousness of these franchises. I mean, they made a uh, Funko Pop-style Gears of War strategy game for your phone that you've never played. But uh, more just by virtue of the fact that they it's, it's assumed that the IP does not actually help them in this context because the audience won't follow it. That said, I do think the original point that we were likely making, which is that there's no reason to... Like, Master Chief is eternally identified with the Xbox brand, and there's no reason to try to find a way to replace him because you're not going to find something that the audience will actually uh, take with them. The contradiction of being a beloved IP that people will continue to love and follow, uh, but also a rigid IP that people will not follow to other games, but still want more games of the same style and of the same sort. Uh, on that topic, is it just me, or, or do Western developers most of the time just aren't as into crossovers unless characters are from mascot platformers or fighting games? Uh, I will... I will... Throw Super Mario plus Rabbids Kingdom Battle onto that comment. Yeah, I think it really depends upon the type of IP. Uh, that game may also, may also depend on local copyright laws. Oh yeah, laws. No, that's great. What's that? I mean, Japan has proven time and again that it's um, not exactly not copyright laws, but some of its rights laws are. Uh, more flexible than the American ones, because other because I don't think you could ever get something like Project Cross Zone in America. You could maybe do it, but it would involve like I think that it's less laws per se. I mean, it's, it's an extension of Make laws, but companies unwilling to work with each other. <laughs> okay, there were a culture of getting along with each other on this kind of thing. Yeah, something well, more like that. Doesn't Japan's laws actually state that if you're doing something for like as a parody like crossover thing you you don't necessarily need the permission or i mean that's kind I mean, of that, true in the u.s but like thinking of the fair uh, use act in america but which is not no, exactly no, how i thought it was but... i thought that's how super robot wars was done was because of the fact it was not because no mean, they that... have to do a lot of licensing for that franchise no no there, there's there's plenty of licensing for all of those things oh, i um, thought originally it started without licensing no no all no. licensed there's a there's a reason that most of those like most of those franchises tend to be from the same handful of companies. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more like Japanese companies know when not to get too greedy with demanding money for their IPs. Don't get in your own way, basically. Yeah. Go your uh, own way. To 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 put it another way, uh, they also know when things things will be done for lots of fun. Yeah, just things that will, like, extend the life of the brand rather than squander it. Uh, it reminds me of, like, back when uh, the Dreamcast died and Virtua Fighter was coming onto the PS2, like, they were, Sega was making a big to-do about Virtua Fighter 4 for the PS2. That was, like, a big thing. And part of the way that they advertised it was a series of ads that they, where they teamed up with Namco to hit Virtua Fighter 4 against Tekken 4. Which is a very strange way to advertise something at, at any time. Like, both companies went in on paying for these ad buys where it was, like, pitting their games against each other, but they had both paid for these ads. And, like, I don't think you would ever see, like, a Western company try that. But it was a way to... It would be 
a potential damage to the bottom line. Yeah, but this was a way to, like, I, I, they, I think, rightly concluded that this was a way to raise the stature of both games in the eyes of two fan bases that were considered at the time separate. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think the issue is mostly just that uh, with these kinds of things, a lot of companies that would be potentially uh, invested in a crossover, you run into two uh, two issues: uh, the concern of promoting uh, promoting a competitor. They don't like doing that. Uh, they don't see that as ever having. Uh, as having value and uh, the concern of even if they did want to work together these two companies may not be willing to work together because they're uh, because like one of them wants too much money or uh, you get the classic issue of something like uh, Street Fighter versus Mortal Kombat was floated variously between Midway and Capcom USA at various points and it came down to the reason that never happened was apparently no one could agree who got to make it. Which, I mean, fair enough. Yeah, because the issue is you have two companies who both make that style of game. But that's how yeah. the other crossovers have worked very well because, like, Marvel versus Capcom, Marvel does not make video games. They <laughs> license everyone else to make their video games. Yeah. It doesn't remind Plus, me of Okay. As crossovers are a big thing in the comic book world, so they might be actually a little more amenable to this suggestion, just for that. Yeah, I'll never get over... I, I've mentioned this before, but I'll never get over the uh, Marvel's uh, Japanese branch dealing with Capcom, asking... Uh, like, one of the people at Capcom asking for the rights to use Shuma Garath, and uh, Marvel Japan asking who? <laughs> <laughs> They did not know who that was. They did not care. Uh, and that's why Shumagarath has a very strange cutesy speak pa speech pattern in the Japanese version of Marvel Super Heroes vs. Street Fighter because no one was looking to tell them, hey, cut that out. Wait, which character? <laughs> uh, Shumagarath, the, the, the uh, tentacle monster Doctor Strange villain. Oh. Of crafty and uh, horror. Yeah, the thing with the eyeball, yeah. Yeah, it uh, for some reason it ends a lot of its sentences in Japanese with like "detsu," which is a very cutesy <laughs> way of doing and saying anything. Seriously? Yes. That's that's the Japanese equivalent of a childhood. List. <laughs> yeah, it's like the the least seriously you could take anything. But yeah. Well, let's let's also make a note that. To fill spots in Marvel vs. Capcom 2, we fought a walking cactus. Listen, that is, that is a noble and proud cactus. It is. But... And, he, and he's a very powerful character, apparently, that they killed. <laughs> but yeah, it's, a, it's just one of those things where it's it's like, you, you get these companies and it's just like, they like the the less a company cares about an IP, the more you're able to get get through it. And of course, the issue is a lot of times these crossovers are between the IPs that companies care the most about. So everything breaks down. Uh, let's see. 
and because we are uh, let's see is there any crossover so bad that it harms the popularity of the guest characters chaos I probably did hurt them. It, it, well, if that game had been more popular, it probably would have hurt everyone involved in it. Uh, True. Like that, that's, that's the other issue, is that something has to be both bad and extremely public. So it has to have been something someone thought was a good idea and advertised. But, uh, yeah, luckily, Chaos Wars was not very well advertised and was only available at GameStop. Yep, I picked it up for like $5 years later. I picked uh, it up brand new. See, I recently I tried. I was very excited for it, and then I got to play I'm it. So I'm like, sorry. oh my god, this is such a bad game. Whoops. I got yeah, like 10 maps in. I recently tried Air Guys, and it's just bad. I'm willing to bet uh, they stuck Cloud in the FF7 cast into Air Guys to save a bad game. I think it's at least at the time it was acceptable in a weird experimental fighting game fashion. It has not aged well. No, it's, it, it did not age well. It was it was a fun game to play. I, um, me and a friend of mine, Bill, uh, back in high school, when we would hang out, we would either play Final Fantasy VII and name Aerith Slum Drunk, or... Rude. <laughs> well, that was one of the options. No, I know. Or... Or... Or guys. God bless the ring. Uh... Also, if anyone has a copy of Air Guides lying around, uh, there is uh, one of the strangest minigames I've ever seen in a game. But I can see this working as like a as a like quick downloadable indie style game. But there is a mode hidden in that that's like it's called like Puzzle Battle or something. But it's basically Othello in real time. It's extremely strange, but it's kind of fun. Give that a shot. I do own it. It's pretty good, but yeah, God bless the rain. Uh, but yeah, I mean they they shove uh, Cloud, Zach, uh, no, Tifa, Vincent, Cloud, Tifa, Vincent, Yuffie, and Sephiroth. Zach is also in there, but no, Zach uh, was not in there. there I am was almost a character certain who kind of there. looked like Zach, but it was not Zach because he was one of the base characters. No, I'm, I'm double checking this, but I'm almost certain Zach's in there. Yeah, no, Zack is definitely in the PlayStation version. He's just a head swap. Oh, I, I don't remember that ever. He require—I seem to recall—he requires you to unlock like a bazillion other characters to actually show up. So you'd have to have played through that arcade go arca arcade mode like at least a dozen times. Yeah, well, my problem was I could never get one ending because I always had trouble throwing boxes. Because <laughs> uh, to get the good ending for the dude who's missing his leg. Hante Han. Yeah, I forget the character names. I remember Except for Yoko. Yo-Yo uh, Yoko. She's the only one I remember because she was the easiest to cheese. She's also basically a Sukabon Deca knockoff. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, I couldn't get his troop because all the characters, like, the endings didn't matter whether you got all the the sword pieces or not. But his had two different endings, one where you got everything and collected his leg, and one where 
you didn't. And I could never grab the boxes and break them because I couldn't figure out how to grab the boxes and throw them. <laughs> you could forget such wonderful characters as Dasher Inoba, Prince Doza, Sasuke, who's just a ninja. They didn't give a shit, so they just called him Sasuke. <laughs> Uh, why do I remember all these fucking character names? Please, someone end me. Uh, I remember a bunch of stuff that even I don't. It sucks, it sucks. I hate being this. Uh... <laughs> right. Uh... But, yeah. Uh... Uh, let's see... Uh, this is a... We'll throw this question through because it's honestly, like, there's not much answer to give to it. Uh, what are the chances of the Avengers game when it comes to PC going free-to-play? Uh, I don't think... Did that game ever come to PC? Do we know yeah, if that it's ever... Been, it's been on PC for a yeah, while. It's on PC okay. Game Pass, even. Yeah. And I don't think it was free-to-play. No, other than being on Game Pass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Which is um, really right now on Steam it is on sale, because Square Enix is having a massive sale, and it is $16. Yeah, not quite free to play. Uh, I don't, I don't think there's actually enough content to make a free to game, free to play game loop work. Just, just as far as I can tell. But they're still adding stuff to it, so that's at least a plus. Yeah, they're still pushing it. Like they, they're still trying to squeeze blood from that stone. But I feel like you would need, like. If you're going to make free-to-play work, you need to, like, accept that you have to be just pumping out, like, skins, and people need to want them. And that might actually be a problem for something like Marvel, because there are all sorts of, like, alternate costumes and styles and such. But all of them have to be... you all have to get Disney to Disney's permission to use any of them. <laughs> like, any specific portrayal is going to run up into... Well, does Disney want that version of that character to be shown? And oh man, like Square keeps trying these live service games. Apparently, the Avengers basically never sees more than a thousand concurrent players on Steam, just like Babylon's Fall. <laughs> oh. Well, I mean, live service games in general are not doing well overall. I really think that the time to really get into those was a while ago. Yeah. People have kind of pared down to the ones that they care about, and they aren't really ready to invite more of them into their life. Yeah. yeah it's kind of like with MMOs. There's a number of MMOs that have a decent player base, but for the most part, like, people will try the new ones, but they're... they're it's where they stick with them. Yeah, they'll either not stick with them, or they find out that they're actually really bad. I.e. Oftentimes both. <laughs> like, the only way to break in is to get unusually lucky with early pickup, and to not have been garbage from the start. Which is actually really hard for an online game, but it's not, e not even a knock, it's just like, it's hard to make an online game good out of the gate. Yeah, because, like, New World was... Highly popular, sold tons of copies, and it is not doing well at all because. Yeah, then everyone realized what they were playing. 
Yeah, I knew it was going to be a crap show from the start just because it was... I mean, it was a... It, it, the concept seemed interesting, but... Once you start telling me, oh, a bunch of people who worked on, like, old school RuneScape and old school EverQuest worked on this, I'm like, no. You know, super grindy MMOs are... I'm sorry, I've got two kids, I've got a full-time job. And I try and make a... and I try and do my best with RP Gamer as I can. I'm sorry, I have enough stuff going on in my life. Yeah, not naturally. Yeah, nobody got time for that. I don't even play WoW anymore. Because it's too grindy. Wow. <laughs> Oh, I get it. Wow. Uh, <laughs> I, I do play a lot of Final Fantasy XIV. Oh, uh, we know. <laughs> I'm sorry. Everyone knows. Okay. Uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna hit this one real quick, otherwise. Uh, but I'm gonna have to go to bed fairly shortly. But I'm gonna hit this one fairly quick because it's one that I have an immediate and very quick answer for. Uh, the most cynical attempt you have seen at garnering, getting attention for a game. Which publisher is the first to use manufactured social media scandals to promote a game? Uh, I'm going to go pre-social media and say the early offs acclaim has yet to be equal. John Romero's gonna make you his bitch? No, that's not a claim. No, 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 no. Oh. Let me, let me tell you about acclaim advertising Turok Revolution, uh, Turok Evolution by saying that they would give you approximately 600 US dollars to change your name to Turok for a year. <laughs> or, if you were willing to curse a child, you could get them $10,000 in savings bonds by <laughs> naming them Turok. Um, Which, uh, I, I, huh. I actually have one that predates Turok. Maybe. Oh my god. Do tell. <laughs> and it actually involves a game show. Oh, Lordy, I think I might know where you're going with us. Continue. So, there is a city in New Mexico. Truth or Consequences. Ex yep. Tr yeah. That is named Truth or Consequences. Yep. But uh, the actual most ghoulish thing that Acclaim ever managed to pull off uh, in their late, in their early aughts death throes was uh, they promoted the game the game you've never heard of, uh, Shadow Man Second Coming, by saying that they would pay for the funeral of someone uh, of any given person's deceased relatives if they were allowed to advertise Shadow Man Second Coming on the grave. <laughs> Ugh, it's kind of macabre. Did, did, yeah. Did someone actually take them up on this? They got criticized so swiftly that this was never allowed to happen. Well, that's good. So I don't think this actually occurred. I believe they said that any inquiries that they had already gotten, they would pay for the funerals and not put the ads on the grave as like their make good. But yeah, like they they did put this out into the world as a press release of like we'll pay for the the great the. the Funeral of your relative if you let us advertise Shadow Man Second Coming on their tombstone. 
And yeah, like I don't think that anything that ghoulish has yet been uh, conceived in uh, the mo- in the modern era. Um, like one of the worst ones I've heard about is I, I want to say it was one of the just causes. Maybe I, I saw this. This was on one of uh, the fact hunt videos where they were giving away like a an island. Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And then, but the thing was, like, their system got hacked, so, like, <laughs> and flooded with a whole bunch of fake entries. Yeah. I mean, that's that's just garden variety. You were dumb for thinking this would work. <laughs> but I do think a bit about, like, another mid-ops one was... Uh... There were a couple of games in the mid-aughts where it was like, oh, if you play this game, you can try to win a million dollars. And, uh... I'm talking about the McDonald's Monopoly game. No, I'm talking about video games. Like, I'm thinking of forgotten games like Advent Rising. Um, Didn't that one game uh, that was supposed to have, like, three parts that got cancelled after the first one have one? Too human, that's... I don't think there was any contest associated with Two Human. I think it just got cancelled. There was some Xbox game that did have a contest, though. That's Advent Rising, you might be thinking of. Oh, okay, okay. Like, that was a late-era original Xbox game, like, 2005, and, like, there was a big, like, uh, essentially sticker on it that was like, hey, if you, like, there was something to do with the game's multiplayer, I think, that, like, if you, like, the first to reach certain records or something, like, they would end up winning like a million dollar prize. That prize never got given out. That the those servers were shut down relatively quickly. That game bombed. Nothing ever came of it. But it's one of those things where it's like this is one of the most desperate things I've ever seen. I know that there was a really, really early '80s game. It was mm-hmm. supposed to be released in four parts, but, but that never happened. Short and quest. Even, yes, that was it. And the the great prizes that were offered actually existed, but they never got given out. Yeah, like they were manufactured because, but because the game, like their game crash happened around when that series was being made. They the last game was never finished. The third game only existed as a prototype. Uh, Those prizes were made, and then like someone essentially made off with them from Atari headquarters and sold them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what else? I, I did. I'd probably have done it, but yeah. Uh, yeah, like these kinds of like stunt, like these kinds of like tacky stunt shit is as old as the hills. Uh, and of course, you'll always see it with like game content as well. Like you get the uh, that you know companies will stir up dudgeon about like this content is too hot for TV or, like, this company doesn't want us to release this, whatever. Who gives a fuck? They'll, they'll do that. It's, it's a story as old as time. Sure, uh, you see the movie Matinee? Nah, afraid not. That one was about a B-movie uh, producer and his advertising campaign in like, Miami in 1960. Mm-hmm. And so he had, he did things like, um, have his, he had his girlfriend dress up as a nurse and pretend to give people heart exams before going into the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that sounds like a that sounds like that and, era. Uh, <laughs> and and, um, and then he 
he so um, he got joy buzzer sewn into like all the seats in the theater so whenever the monster tried to poke the woman's butt on the screen they just hit the button everybody jumped up <laughs> uh, yeah it's kind of a silly movie especially if you actually like B movies Hmm. A, a good overall parody. Yeah, that, that's very inspirative. Uh, that's very inspirative of uh, schlocky old horror movies like Buana Devil. But, yeah. Uh, but yeah, like that that kind of shit is just... There's always a huckster ready to assume that if they can just draw enough attention to themselves, that'll turn into sales. But, yeah, just look at our former president. Hey-oh! Yep. Nice. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, uh, but, yeah. Uh, so, it's one of those things. It's just like... Yep. Yeah, uh, it's just... Like, I, I, I've never seen, one, like, a social media stunt that's uh, gotten quite as out of hand by virtue of the fact that the second that a social media stunt starts... You're going to see a very like heavy number of like tweet replies that are just saying, "What the fuck are you doing? Shut the fuck up!" <laughs> <laughs> and that tends to nip some of the worst ideas of the bud relatively quickly. Whereas uh, it used to be that a company had to send out the press release, wait for people to report on it like a week or a month later, and then hear, "Oh wait, this is the worst idea we've ever had," and stop it. <laughs> Ooh, Monster, Monster Hunter Stories 2 is... Fanatical's got a deal that's like 45% off. Okay. On the Deluxe Edition. Fancy. PC? Yeah, Fanatical tends to do that. Okay. And Fanatical's legit per pause. Hmm. No, they're, they're, they're a legit place. Keys that are going to work there. No one's, no one's done anything shady to get them. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, it is past my bedtime, so I need to, we need to maybe wrap this up. Yeah. Thanks once again to Fireminer for providing us questions this week. We always appreciate it. Uh, Gaijin, tell me about pizza. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> okay, so yes. Uh, so if you enjoy tabletop gaming, if you enjoy watching other people play tabletop gaming, which is an entire thing these days. Um, if you like to live vicariously through other people's poor decisions, dice rolls, or some combination thereof, and if you'd like to actually read this in print format instead of YouTube, uh, we have Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yadimizu, available on Kindle and Kindle Unlimited in ebook format, as well as in uh, three paperback collections and a very nice long paralogue um, about the time half the cast got sent to summer camp because they'd forgotten they'd signed up for it. It happens. Um, <laughs> so, yes, uh, so, uh, that's Princesses of the Pizza Parlor by Michael Yarimizu. Please check it out. Let me know what you think. Bye-bye. Tam, -bye. <laughs> uh, tell us what streams we have at the forum. So, um, as, as long as my kids are behaving, uh, I stream on Tuesdays, and, or, or they're at school, I stream on Tuesdays and Thursdays here on RP Gamer. Uh, right now I'm playing Valkyrie Profile, and then occasionally I will do a Friday night stream, but there's a bunch of us who stream. Uh, we've got Hairfrog, who's doing uh, Shining Force 3 on Tuesdays and Thursdays as well, and then on Sundays 
Uh, he does, he's been doing a lot of Pokemon. He's getting a little pokemon out. Uh, he might actually try Tunic this weekend. Uh, there's some oh, that sounds fun. Yeah, so... Um, uh, JC Servant, um, who's sort of in charge of the whole streaming thing, does streams uh, five days a week, Monday through Friday. All sorts of games. Uh, Final Fantasy, Lost Ark. I think he's going to be doing some Wasteland 2. Because... Um, Something just uh, all the entire series of Sh uh, Shadow Run just kicked his butt. I think. <laughs> Shadow Run returns, Dragonfire. Yeah, yeah, the, the whole Shadow Runs thing was not his alley. <laughs> That's rough. And then, um, and then, Mr. Wheels, who's the host tonight, uh, obviously Wednesday nights, he does the Q and A quest, and then on su most Sundays there is there is shenanigans where. You can watch a, watch him play while we kind of do what we're doing tonight with more randomness. You can. I don't. I don't have to pretend to adhere to a structure. So instead, I just uh, perseverate about uh, whatever has been on my mind for the past week, and that's why you get to hear a replay of it every time. Q and A quest uh, happens. And then Tuesday and Friday afternoons, uh, Scar is here doing a wheel of SNES RPGs, and then sun very early Sunday mornings. He is uh, on playing on playing through a game uh, right now. That is Tales of Destiny uh, remake remaster the PS2 version. Tales of Destiny remake director's cut, I would assume. Yeah. Game so good. It looks really good from what I've caught from. It's still gorgeous. It plays so good. <laughs> David, what about you? Uh, like, I've, I've been trying to make Patreon work within my, uh, limited time, but, limited time, uh, but I'm, I'm getting used to the schedule, so I should start having things going back up there fairly shortly, uh, but otherwise, you know, I just, I just do the Q&A quest for the time being, that's all the promises I can make. <laughs> uh, but also, as, as mentioned, me and Wheels are always on for shenanigans, Pam is usually there. Uh, Gaijin is often there as well, and it's always it's always fun to have y'all. And we also have uh, Wheels' dear friend, uh, Smoking Joe. So it's it's, it's always a, it's always a party, and inevitably I end up talking over everyone. It's incredible. <laughs> Wheels, you got anything else to plug? Um, Horizon Zero Dawn is terrible. That's all. That's not a plug. That doesn't have anything to do with anything. I know you stream other <laughs> things on other random days. That's not a plug. <laughs> uh, that's pretty decent. Uh, you've heard it's wrong. Like Wheels is just resentful. I, 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 I have never taken Wheels' reviews of games actually seriously. Uh, it's I, harsh. I usually 99% of the time never agreed with them. It's, it's fine. It's just deeply unambitious. Wheels is just that very is, disappointed. Really it's going to take a while. Yeah. Oh shit! Pew's reading me. What's up? Oh shit! Oh, no. What's up? Now we're Let everyone to... listening to this raid be made aware of the uh, late '80s Pac-Man knockoff for PC, literally named "Oh shit." <laughs> the only is thing that, really that it thing? does differently from Pac-Man is loudly scream at the player, "Oh shit!" Every time they die. <laughs> <laughs>
That's up there with the game that is like, you die! <laughs> Let me see if I can pull this up, because it's a really bit-crunched uh, sound sample. You know, you know the one I'm talking about, though, where it has like this whole musical interlude about you dying? Oh, are you thinking of uh, Total Distortion? Is that what it's called? I just the Death by Guitar Warrior, and then it starts singing about how you're dead? Yes! Yeah, yes. That's, to that's Total Distortion. I once emailed the guy who made that. He's a real nice guy. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, he was just like... That, that is epic in its own way. Oh, no, that, game's, that game is incredible. Uh, it is a game that could only have been made in, like, 1994. And it has such a, a rock and wild aesthetic that it's totally worth seeing. Um, but also, I'm gonna drop in to the Discord at the MSX Classic. Oh shit! Uh, by the way, you may want to stop the uh, RP Gamer stream because you're now on Apex. No, I don't care. <laughs> We're wow. soon anyway. I'm sorry. Wow. Wait, what now? Right. Oh my god. A new Spider-Man skin. Holy shit. Oh no. Oh shit! <laughs> oh shit! God. And now Leo's just like, I have to spend money. Yeah. Funny how that works. Alright, I am gonna I'm gonna end the RP Gamer stream right now. Hey, goodbye, RP Gamer. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. Uh, well, before we end the stream, or the podcast anyway, uh, like, you can ask us questions on the Discord. You can ask them in the comments section under this very episode. If you want to get into the Discord, hit the community tab. It's a lovely community that's worth uh, being part of, even if you don't want to ask us questions. And in any case, otherwise, see ya, Space Cowboys. See ya. Okay. Bye. Bye.